Okay. Um, hi, Margaret. I'm here with Margaret Agard. Uh, Agard. Agard, sorry. I, 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 will, I will get that right at one stage. I will get that right. Now. Um, thank God I don't have to repeat that often. Agard, isn't it? Agard. Okay. I'm here with Margaret Agard, and I am the Zenith, and this is another episode of the podcast of the Spirit Channel. Hi, are you, Margaret? I'm good. I've been looking forward to this. Um, all day. Thanks, Janet. <laughs> Hi, is uh, California or Florida where you are at the minute? Florida. Mm -hmm. Started in California, ended up in Florida. Yeah. Wow. Florida has more rain. Oh, really? Is Florida not the sunshine state? Well, they call it that, but it rains almost every day, but usually in the afternoon. And so this is great, you know, because my husband Parker loves to garden. In California, it was a little harder. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, it doesn't sound to be too much different from where I am actually at the minute. We, we just get constant rain and a few um, sunny days sprinkled in between. So because our sunny days are so rare, when it gets above 12 degrees, everybody takes that as, as uh, a time to get their, their tops off and bikinis out then. <laughs> Anything above 12 degrees. <laughs> huh, that's funny. Down here, when it gets medium cold like other places you'd be wearing a jacket they've got um wool caps on and down jackets and mittens and you're like uh <laughs> i was thinking a long sleeve shirt but yeah <laughs> Brilliant. so margaret margaret um is the author of three books the in his footsteps series um and she also ran a radio show and uh interesting enough margaret is a christian mystic um, who has heard the voice of God for quite a long time or quite a long um, portion of her life. Margaret, could you just explain um, what a Christian mystic is to you? Because I think most people who would have heard that term would have, would have been thinking back to the days of, of Jesus and some sort of bearded hermit who, who lives in a cave. You know, that, I think that would be most people's idea of a Christian mystic and maybe someone who conjures up spells and stuff like that. Obviously, it's, it's quite far from, from, from what you would imagine. Could you just explain your interpretation of that? As I understand Christian mystic, it's a person who desires to hear the voice of God and to live, and for me, to live my life in, in that uh, sense of being in the presence of the divine, to constantly, I would say, have his spirit to be with me all the time. And that, that's my goal. And that, you know, sitting on a mountaintop isn't going to get me there because it's interacting with people where I have to really learn to how to stay there. Yeah. You know what, actually, just, just actually thinking about that statement, is that something that, um, I don't know about you, but that's something that I can identify with. Um, like, you know, people say, you know, what's your ideal holiday or what's your ideal thing? And oh, I'd love to be here and I'd love to be there. For me, I've always said, like, get me to uh, Mozambique or get me to um, Papua New Guinea so that I can isolate from the world um, and live with some sort of tribe because I am quite a loner. But in order to be of service, um, like yourself, I realize that you have to interact with people and you have to, to, to make yourself immersed in society. Um, Which is true. 
It's absolutely true. So yeah, you you're the author of three books in his footsteps books. Could and we're we're here just today to talk about the first one, but I suspect that um, we'll we'll be on again talking about your second and your yet to be released book. But yeah, your your first book. How did that come about? I really felt uh, again the spirit God saying to me, "I want you to write your life online." This was back around 1999, so before blogs were all over the place. I didn't quite know how to do it. And finally, I found a site called Open Diary, which is still around. And I began to write these stories um, of what was happening in my life and what I learned. And just as I did that and what I was doing at that time, I had just started again this practice of getting up every day and saying, what do you want me to do today, God? So a lot of what's in there was what happened when I prayed that, what happened that day. And so after about a year and a half, two years of that, the thought came, um, okay, now you need to write a book. And I thought, oh, so I was taking the stories, trying to figure out how to massage them or rewrite them. And the thought came, no, that is the book. The book is done. Just put them in it. And so that's what I have. And so that became the, the first book. I actually, you know, I went through and picked, picked and chose the ones that fit that theme. Yeah. Uh, giving my life to God by giving my to-do list to God. And what a great book it is! As I said, I, I've read it from from start to finish, and uh, found it very funny, very funny. Some very funny stories in it, and um, very self depreciating. And um, despite everything that you do, and um, there are no uh, airs and graces around you. There's no sense of piousness around you. You're very down to earth. You're very open and honest about the the the, the problems and the traumas that you've suffered, and that's just something that I want to talk about now because um obviously being a christian mystic writing a number of books hosting a radio show people would think that um you've always had it together that you've always been pretty much successful but knowing you and, and obviously the conversations that we've had and reading your book it, it, it wasn't always like that um you were far from this person originally which you mentioned in your book you you'd suffered a lot of trauma and you're raising a family of eight on your own because your your uh, marriage, I think, twenty five years had fallen apart, and your husband had left. And um, at that time, not only were you raising a family of eight, but you were work you were you were doing night classes, and during the day you were also working as a computer consultant. So that must have been extremely difficult for you at that time. It was. And I had been on the executive level. I, I knew how to make priorities. I knew how to focus on the most important things and not get distracted by busy work. But each of those things was a full-time job. You know, Raising eight children, especially teenagers, takes a lot of time. Going to school full-time, I only had two, two semesters left at university and I have finished my degree. So I just wanted to pound it out. And then being a computer consultant, if you work, it's like meeting with the clients is part of the time, then going back and getting done what they need done is another part of the time. So I would make my daily to-do list. Oh, well, here's what I have to do. And I see no way to do it all. But here's what I think is critical, must be done today. And I'll, often I would do that only to find out it wasn't needed. I would spend four or five hours finishing up a paper for a class only to walk in and see a sign on the door teacher's sick uh, bring bring your paper on friday something like that i was like oh my goodness um 
And then I go to a client having worked on their reports or their bits of code and they would be saying something similar. Oh, we don't, we've decided we want to change that. That's done. I mean, they paid me for it, but still they wanted it redone. And I think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I seem to be often doing the wrong thing. And I could have used that five or six hours doing something else. I was only getting about four hours sleep a night. So as I was doing that, I thought, I, they, I don't know what's coming in the future. I, don't, I can't see down the road that the client's going to change that or that the teacher isn't going to be there that day. I sure wish I could. And that's when it occurred to me, I knew someone who did know that, and that was God. And so I began to say, every morning I would just say, okay, here's a list I made. Now, if you just tell me what I really need to do today, because I, I can't see the future like you can. And I would have these thoughts. Okay, I can cross this out. I can, excuse me, I have to cough. <clears throat> I can add something, add certain things. And sometimes, often, I would cross out quite a few things and add one or two things that would be of service or of help to another person. I want you to just call this elderly shut-in lady, or I want you to take a meal to someone when you're fixing dinner for the kids, have them run this meal over to a, uh, another person. And so uh, two things came out of that. One is I was finished by eight o'clock every night with what God said needed to be done. Um, I, my life changed a little bit. Now I was getting more sleep. I stopped worrying because it turned out what I was doing was always the right thing at the right time. And so I wasn't stressed anymore. I used to wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, what have I left undone? And that was never happening. And, and my life began to change. I began to get this new life of joy, a life I didn't even realize was possible. So it was, it was, it was a practice I've just kept. Well, I stopped it for a little while because I thought I was doing it out of desperation and need. And I kind of felt bad for God that I couldn't live my own life. You know, like I was like such a kid, I had to always ask him, right? But after a while, so I took my life back and I ended up in, in almost the same place, just overworked. And then I realized, oh, based, based on Christian understanding, he wants us to ask. So I was thinking about Christian, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. I tried to imagine heaven filled with angels all rushing up to God. Oh, I'm so busy. I got so much to do. Can you help me with this? Versus heaven being a place where the angel said, we are committed to your work. We know it's a good work. What do you want us to do? And I started thinking, wow, what if everybody on earth did that? How different would the world be? But that's what I started doing. It was more not just what should I do today, but what do you want me to do today, God? And, and I was concerned. I was worried. Like, did he know we still had to do dishes? You know, meals had to be fixed. There's laundry. Um, Got to get the kids, you know, to the library. Not so much now. Now they can just Google it. But yeah. So. Wow. That's what I do. I just ask God, what do you want me to do today? Was there, I mean, I'm just trying to think, because like, I, I just can't imagine that, you know, the existing in four hours of sleep a night, you know, raising a family of eight is, as you say, 
more than a full-time job on its own. That's just crazy. You know, having to prepare their meals and homeworks and schools and appointments and all the rest of it. Um, but just on top of all that, I, I, it's a wonder you didn't have a mental breakdown, seems to me. Oh, well, I didn't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to put that off for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know whether you already covered it there, but again, maybe I just missed it there, but just what gave you the, the, the idea? Is it because you were involved with the church already? that maybe you just thought of the idea of turning it over your, your list to God? Because I don't think there would be too many people who may be in a, a similar situation as yourself would ever think about doing something like that. You know, it, it could have been that. I'm, and it could have been, you know, I've been training myself to hear that still small voice, that voice of God from my early 20s. And this time, at this point, I was in my mid-40s. So it could have been just that, that thought came to me, why don't you ask? God or me. But I, when I do my radio show time, I actually went out on a site where you can get gas and said, has anyone done this? And got quite a few calls and people who said they did it. Very interesting. One was a Baptist preacher who was burned out. He was like, done. You know what? I'm going to go get a regular job. <laughs> he had the same experience I did. He started asking that same question. And he said he was done by eight o'clock at night every night too. So I guess that, that's your knockoff time for God. And then I asked this other woman came on and she said, listen, I was working for one of those companies where they kept firing people, but not hiring new people. So you ended up doing three jobs instead of your own. And, and she was stressed like that too. Also worried that she would get fired. And so she said, I asked every hour, what should I do now? <laughs> to now so that's how i got through the, the day so i know it's not just me i know other people do it and have the same results i had she had she and the preacher had the same results that he gradually changed their lives not only to one of less stress but one of more joy yeah. without I, making you go be mother Teresa in india you got to just stay where you were very nice yeah i i can i can absolutely relate because like you I've heard that voice too in my head, um, and it it is it is a case of um, learning to trust, um, learning to listen to it more, um, <laughs> and learning to to do what the hell it says, because generally yeah. you, don't, you you don't get the results that you want, and you realise that thing. But quite a lot of the time, I think that um, it just makes perfect sense, really, when they say that, and you're kind of wondering, how oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, it just seems. Oh make perfect sense doesn't it with the, the information that they give you when it happened to me um i was kind of already sort of opened up a little bit um to this kind of thing but i i, I actually wasn't but really had happened for me was through massive trauma um massive trauma that required me to go off and, and actually listen inside myself and go and try and find some sort of um the demeaning as to what was happening to me so i would have spent a lot of time off my, on my own but often done a lot of walking um, and listening to thing and that's actually when i started hearing that voice too and you're right it doesn't matter whether you want to call god or spirit or source it's it's, it's that voice um, that that comes to you which which is from from the divine ultimately and um you're absolutely right after after listening to that there and you know trying to increase that especially now that I've listened to your book, I realize that I'm not listening to that voice as much as I should. I, I should be actually dedicating more time uh, to going off and actually actively listening to that voice. But 
I think you're right. Once you start taking the advice that's given you, you do see your life starting to change. Um, I, I've definitely seen, you know, my life start to change um, from the trauma that, that I've endured and I'm enduring um, to, to actually just to the point where I am now. So I'm extremely grateful. But let's just talk about that, that little voice before, because you mentioned that you were about 20 odds or 23 when you first started hearing that. Yes. I... I'm sure I'd heard it before then, but I hadn't made it a consistent practice to try to hear that voice. And what had happened is I was at church one one weekend, some girl and a teenager was sharing an experience and she said, you know, I prayed and, and I, I know I'm supposed to stay on my knees until I start to feel an answer. And I was and I thought, what? <laughs> what? I thought you just prayed popped up and went about your day and either you know what you prayed for happened or it didn't it wasn't an idea of a relationship where i'm sitting there trying to listen to what god has to say too and i wasn't sure i could under hear his voice so i actually went to god and said help me can you help me hear your voice can you i, I don't know how you can do it because how can you teach me how to hear your voice if i can't hear your voice but that was the prayer i prayed and what happened is Right after praying that prayer, I had three experiences in a week, and I'll just share the one, and that's also in the book. But what happened, I, I already had a small family, and I started to make a big pot of chili. Well, it turned out to be a lot bigger than I had planned. I had to get a, a bigger pot to put it in. And as I was making this pot of chili, the thought came to me, invite these friends to dinner. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that because they just came Friday. It's Monday. Why would I, you know, that would look weird to invite them to dinner that soon. And so a little while later, I'm still working on the pot of chili and the thought comes again. You know, you should, I should invite this family to dinner. And then I again thought, no, I no, And especially it's Monday because Monday we reserve for just our family. And I had a little scripture study plan for my kids that night before they went to bed and so the thought came again the third time invite that family to dinner invite them to stay for your scripture study with your children and that's when i had oh i wonder if this is god because <laughs> the thought coming back and i'm kind of arguing with it and you know usually i don't argue with myself you know as i have to go eat that chocolate sure go ahead like that right but I, or if I blow it off, like, yeah, I'm not going to do that today. I don't think it again. But this thought kept coming back, this little insistent thought. And so I did invite them to dinner. And after dinner, we were having our little scripture study. And we were actually talking about tithing with the children, which I, I know is a financial principle that works like gravity. You don't have to believe in God. You, you know, just what, what is tithing? Tithing, you give a 10% of what you earn in our case to the church or because we know they're going to use it um to help take care of the people who you know need their utility bills paid or food but wherever and so we were explaining this to them and the couple who were visiting the the husband said oh i need to tell you this story we wanted to pay tithing too and we were committed and we had started and then we got behind and we wanted to catch it up which i don't recommend i'm like start where you are just keep going but that's what he wanted to do and they got a check he also was working as a computer consultant and the check was enough to catch up their tithing but they were low on food so they could either catch up their tithing 
or buy food. And they thought about it and prayed about it and finally decided to pay the tithing. And when they went to church that Sunday, by the end of the day at church, they had invitations to dinner every night that week, except Monday night. <laughs> so that was like, oh, I'm thinking that was God's voice. I'm thinking that was that small little voice. It didn't, I can't even describe it. It's, it's, um, it's calm. It's a calm voice. It's, we'll come back if you blow it. I, I think he knows we're going to mostly not go, oh, I think this is God. I'll go do it. It takes a while. Yeah. Would you would you say, because uh, I'm just trying to compare it to uh, the voice in my head, sometimes when I ask a question, the answer is there before I even get the question fully out? Oh, that just happened to me. It was really um, upsetting, actually. Um, I had this thought that I should pray to ask, what things should you take out of your life so you can build your a firmer foundation in Christ or your, like you said, more time with the Spirit? And so I thought about that for about six months, thinking, yeah, that's probably a good question. I should ask that someday. <laughs> and so here's how it went. I was like, um, God, what should Facebook? I'm like, did you, could you let me finish that question? Like, <laughs> it's like, I've been waiting for six months for you to ask that question. So yes. And so I, because it's part of my business, I still go on, but I limit myself. It's like once a day, 10 minutes, where I used to be in that endless scroll yeah so uh-huh yeah i've gotten the question answer before <laughs> before i finished asking the question yeah um, the other the other thing i wanted to ask too is for me um sometimes it's not words that you get back sometimes it's a feeling sometimes it's just this wash of um joy or ease that comes over you and i kind of go right well i know that that's like that, if I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder, should I do that? Then maybe I don't get, maybe because it's not a direct question, but you're sort of kind of thinking along those lines, should, should I ask God? Should I ask the spirit? Should I ask whatever? Um, but you're, you're kind of at the same time, you're thinking, like, I wonder, I wonder if that would be the right move for me. So, and sometimes because maybe you haven't actually asked a direct question, you don't get the words back, but it's more of a feeling that you get. And you're, oh, oh, okay. Ooh feel really good i feel calm it's this yes. washes over me so I, i've taken that to interpret right well this this is the path that i need to follow is that something that maybe you can relate to or you've had experience i do and it's more i agree with you it's a sense of um it's I, i'm aware there's a sense of i'm aware um it's all gonna be fine and yes there's the sense that when you're when you're on the right track the answer you you do get that good feeling if you're not you kind of are still in a bit of turmoil and we we say you know couples should become one in their answer and i remember reading a book where people said listen if you're feeling the answer is one thing and your spouse is feeling the answer is another you haven't reached that point you and it could just be small things that need to be changed to make it work i've had that with my husband parker when we were serving as missionaries, we would spend a lot of time with people in the church who needed help. And so we would get up in the morning and pray about where to go and who to see. And 
I remember one day getting two or three names and he had a different two or three names. And I'm thinking, well, he's wrong because, you know, because <laughs> that's how I think. Right. And then we went out and, and had time to visit all, all four to six people, however it was, and found that they all needed us to be there that day. And as I was driving home, God was saying to me, I'm not going to give you the whole answer. You're working together here. So you're both going to get at sometimes part of the answer. Sometimes we both got the same answer um, at different times and we would come together and, and know that was the answer. Beautiful, beautiful. Sometimes I would get that message just before I wake up too. You just get that like right before you wake up because you know that you, you're not dreaming or the dreams ended and just before you open your eyes, pop, there's a little message. Or, oh, right, okay. Whatever yes. it is for the day or whatever it is that you need to do or some sort of change that you make in your life. That's by the nod of your head, I'm assuming you can relate to that too. It often, now the way I started doing this is I would do it in the morning, but I, you know, I'm very committed to my plans by the time I wake up. I've thought of them off and on all night. So I've started doing it at night. At night, I'll say, what should I do? And, but sometimes I've had a feeling, you know, I need to call someone or go somewhere and, and I'll say, well, I don't think I should call him at six in the morning. What do you think? And the guy would say, no, I want you to call him at one in the afternoon. So I put like a, you know, a timer on my phone to remember to call them. And once I remember I called this woman, she was, it sounded like she was in an airport or something. It was very hollow sounding. You know how, like when you're in a big space and she sounded upset. She said, I just found out my son, my brother, my brother has brain cancer. Um, he probably only has two or three months to live. It's that far and she's very upset and I said well when did you find this out she said five minutes ago I was like when did you find this out she said five minutes ago I just came out in the hallway I thought I need to talk to someone I wish I could talk to Margaret and and then you called me because she didn't have my number on her phone and I thought wow God God really does know and at the same time there's been time when I haven't trusted when I've thought yeah you're off base I'm gonna do something else and once I got up and we had an internet business where we were selling this one product. We didn't ship her Saturday or Sunday, but we got orders and we had orders from Friday. So by Monday morning, we had a lot of orders, half our orders for the week. So Monday was a big day for us to get that shipping out. I remember one Monday I was getting up, making my list, you know, do the orders like that, right? And it was like, oh, don't do the orders. I thought, what are you talking about? Don't do the orders we're we're a professional company we promise that orders are going to go out next business day this is next business day and i don't know where your head is but i'm doing those orders and there was a lot more to do that day i kind of wished i didn't have to do the orders but i did the orders and i went to the post office and um had forgotten that it was a federal holiday so the post office was closed <laughs> so it's like oh well um, maybe that voice does know. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I think that, uh, I think I've wondered, you know, probably like you, as you've mentioned, there is a few other people that you've come in contact with who, who hear that voice and obviously kind of being who I am and people that I kind of associate with, you know, they would talk quite a lot about that, but just ordinary, I don't want to say ordinary everyday people because it kind of feels that you're maybe put, putting people down but you understand I mean, people who don't generally hear that or don't trust them 
there must be thousands, if not well, millions of people out there who, who just don't pay attention to that voice, you know, um, who hear it and, and just dismiss it. Oh, that's just my own thoughts. It's just my own kind of thoughts. Um, and as you turn around and say, and as I know, um, I think a lot of the pain that happens in our lives is a result of the consequences of, of not listening to, to that voice or our, our, our own poor choices. It's true. Um, I was serving in my church as Relief Society president, which meant I would go out and help people who were struggling or people who needed visits, people who needed food, people who were in the hospital. That's what Relief Society did. And I would, again, get up every day and say, who, who should I go see? Because not everybody would call me and say I need help. But God knew. And I could feel his love for them. And often, if I was just thinking about them on my own, I thought, oh my gosh, she's made such a mess of her life. And she keeps making more of a mess of her life by making these bad decisions. <laughs> you know, like the mechanic said, don't drive your car. And she drove her car. And now she needs, you know, like her whole engine replaced, where before it was just an oil change. So I, I would just look at him thinking, ah, if they would just stop making these bad decisions. But when I prayed, and went, all I felt for them was God's love for them. I never felt condemnation. I felt nothing but compassion. I felt an understanding on his part that they really are doing the best they can, given what they know now. It was such um, a wonderful experience for me to be in that position, to constantly feel his love for them. And yeah, it, it does. And, that, and I believe it's true. Yeah. It doesn't stop you, um, certainly doesn't stop you feeling, you know, empathy towards them and, and feeling if you, if you would only, if you would only sit down and listen to that own voice in, in your own head, then you would probably not be in this position. But I guess this is what free will is for. Um, everybody's free to make their own choices. Um, and I guess this also equates to the family as well, because I know you've mentioned the struggles with your own family. You've been quite open and honest about that. Um, your kids coming to you complaining about the, the unfairness of the world. How come that person with her has such a, a good car and I don't have this? How come they have the, the latest sneakers or trainers and we don't have them? And you know, being someone who you are, and I can obviously relate to that, you know, that material items just do not equate the happiness. Um, there's a brilliant saying um, that says that uh, you come into this world with nothing and you leave with nothing. So why are you trying to get all these things? But obviously, you know, family being who they are um, and probably not having maybe your, your depth of insight, it's, it can be hard. Well, they, I do believe my one son, Matthias, he was the last one at home. And th this was his complaint all the time. You know, like everybody else gets all the good stuff and I'm struggling. Why do I have to struggle? And I remember this conversation we had where he was saying, I don't understand why I have to struggle. And I said, because that's how you learn and grow. I was always using that uh, weightlifter um parable type thing which is even in the scriptures because i know paul is talking to timothy when he was young he says you know to work out your body is good but to work out your spirit is better and so i would say look there's no pain no gain right like if you're going to grow you're going to have to bump up and work hard 
that's when he made that statement about, you know, his friend, his friend Martin had everything given to him. His parents gave him a car. He didn't have to work to pay for it. His parents um, gave him a big allowance. He didn't have to get a part-time job. And I was like, oh, really? His parents gave him all that and he's a happy boy. He said, no, he's like made a mess of his life. He's on drugs. He's crashed his car. They got him another one. They've told him when he's 18, he has to leave and he's going to be in his own. He's really going to be in trouble because he doesn't know how to do anything. I said, really, why is that? He said, because his parents gave him everything and he didn't have to work for any of it. I said, hmm, I think, son, you've answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> we struggle. <laughs> Brilliant. Um and another thing that you, you you've mentioned there in your book is obviously we've just talked about problems there you know problems with people problems with with our own families um and you've you've compared this here to um like a video game analogy which i, I think is very good because i've i've mentioned this in my own writing about this idea of, of leveling up or of, of different video game levels um, and you've mentioned that kind of where we are in, in these bodies you know um we're, we're kind of on level two and you've mentioned that like the spirit you know they're so much wiser they're so much they, they know everything they're on like level 50 so they can easily solve a level two problem right and i do think that's true and um what i really believe is it isn't that we don't run into the same problems we had they're just not problems because we know how to handle it so it's like if there's a basketball player and I learned how to do certain moves. Then when I ran up against a competitor on the court, it just wasn't a problem for me. I knew what to do. But the problems seemed to get harder and harder. The difference in life, I think, in a video game is the pain of bumping up against those problems is real. And second, I think some people start life with level 50 problems and they spend their life working up to being healed from and being able to deal with life in spite of what happened to them when they were children. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, for me, um, you're absolutely right. You know, we 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 think, oh my God, you know, how am I ever going to get over this here? It's it's too hard, it's too difficult. I've, I've this problem in my life. But you know, most of the time we do get around it, we do get over it, and then we grow and evolve and we start on level two and you know, the more we, we kind of go through life and the more trauma that we deal with, the more problems that we have, and um, we, we kind of surmount them. We grow, we grow spiritually, we grow that spirit inside ourselves um, until we're up there, maybe not quite level 50, but, you know, maybe some point we're level 15, level 20. And those level two problems just don't seem the problem seem anymore because it's like a wall. You know, once you've learned to climb that wall, it's not a challenge for you anymore. So, yeah, I to totally agree with you. Um, and I think that, um, as, as we mentioned, there are just a lot of the time that um, we, we these problems could be easily solved if we would just pay attention to that voice in our heads, that little inner voice and grow it, as you mentioned. Um, just let it grow in your head. Just It's no more than a thought, as you've turned around and said, and just trust it. And I think a lot of the people, a lot of the problems that people could or, or do complain about or find themselves in, could honestly be um, alleviated or um, gone. I can't even think of the right word. But if, if they would just take the time to stop, stop what they're doing and listen to that little voice in their head. I think the problem is, is that our societies 
um, the way they are nowadays, there are so many distractions, there are so much um, demands on people's times, there are so much bombardment. I've talked about this before um, in my own writings. You know, you're it's very hard to actually get any silence or any time away from them. You know, you're constantly there's a radio on, people have phones up to their screen uh, faces all the time. Nobody wants to be on their own nowadays, you know. So, I think if you have a, a, a practice of Taking yourself off, and this is one of the things that I, I've learned from you. If you if you have a practice of um, saying, okay, well, I know I'm busy, but I'm going to take myself off for 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever the case may be, and just listen, and just listen to what that voice inside me is saying about this problem, you'll generally find the solution. I think so. And I think it helps to journal. A lot of people do like journaling. So I'm talking to the ones who already like to journal. Uh, it's a little, and it's a good practice to add to just as I will question and have questions, I'll start to write in my journal the thoughts I'm having. And at some point, the thought does come, oh, wait a minute, this, this isn't me. At this point, I'm now hearing what God has to say. I'll let you grab that. And so um, one of the things, how did I want to put this? Um, He's very concise. That's about my experience. He's, it's concise and it's clear. So once we were getting ready to go to Alaska, it's where we were going to do our mission work. We were going to go up to um, north of the Arctic Circle, actually, and live in um, an Inuit village. And as I was preparing to go, and I didn't really want to go because it's cold and dark and there's grizzly bears, I was like, huh. Um, but I was preparing, doing what I could. And at one point I said, okay, I think I've done everything I'm supposed to do. What else should I do to repair to prepare? And the thought game, it was very simple. Again, just listen. It was popped right into my head immediately. It was um, take a brisk walk every day. Now I I know the word brisk. I have never in my life used the word brisk in a conversation, but I do know it. And so, and and it like I said, it's clear and it's concise. It was take a brisk walk. And I knew that brisk meant I didn't have to take up jogging. I didn't have to go run a marathon. And also I didn't need to go out. I wasn't supposed to go out and just sort of wander along smelling the roses. It was like, get your heart rate up, get out there and get it done. I still take a brisk walk. Well, no, I've exchanged it for rowing because I get to do rowing sitting down, which I like. So, yeah. Oh, I just lost you. I'm not hearing you. Zenith. Huh. Now I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you now. Give me one second because. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you're, you're still very active, or you were very active at the time of that book coming out. You, 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 had, a, you had an exercise routine? A little short exercise routine I did write about it, where I would get up and I would do, I don't know, I was doing push-ups and sit-ups, and, um, and, and I went for this walk every day, a brisk walk. And now I do something similar. Now I, I use my indoor rower, and... I watch a devotional for half an hour while I row that machine. And then I um, have some, I have this 
piece of workout equipment that lets me change the weight levels just by moving a little pin, which I really like because I don't have to like unscrew things and take weights on and off. And I, I run through a, a full body routine on that. So yeah, I try to stay in shape because I think, well, what if I live to be 95? I need to be able to, I don't want to just be laying around like a blob. I want to be out and about. I just, a woman in our, our community just died. She's 93 and she, I, I, I saw her everywhere. I, I was in two service groups and she was in that and she was, she, she tried to talk me into going to her exercise class. She goes, yeah, I go to that exercise class there. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. But <laughs> so she was active and involved right up until the day she died. Wow. And you're what, 71 night? And you're yeah, 71. Right. Wow. And just like, yes, I want to, I got 20 more years. Maybe I need to be able to stay active and so I can keep being of service. Yeah, and you have that. Um, no, we'll, we'll actually get to that later. Yeah, and um, you, you have so many brilliant examples in your, in your book that I read about um, just getting back to that voice. Do you know, like um, <laughs> sometimes the, the advice it gives is not very popular to us. I mean, why on earth would I want to do that? And one of, the, one of my favorite examples, actually, it's not actually in your book. It's, it's on your website. And um, one of your blog posts is, is the ice cream cone that you bought. Oh, the ice cream cone. Well, Parker, my husband, had gotten has this uh, rare heart disease, and so we started eating vegan. And not only that, no dairy, you know. I mean, ugh. and every once in a while, I was like, you know, I need a hamburger. And so I would say, oh, you know, I got to run to town. So I ran to town, and as I'm driving to town, I see an, uh, a guy selling. I actually didn't know it was a guy. Found that out later with a truck by the side of the road selling watermelons. And I thought, great, on the way back. Uh, pick up a watermelon, take it um, for Parker. And then I went to Burger King. I don't even know if they have them where you are, but Burger King. I, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to get their bacon double burger special. And as I'm going through, I see, oh, they have ice cream cones for a dollar. I'm getting one of those too, because it's dairy. We weren't having ice cream. We still haven't had ice cream in forever. And so as I'm getting up and I pay for the ice cream cone. I order it. She says, Oh, you know, we're out of cones. Can we put it in the cup? I'm like, yeah, put it. I don't care how you give it to me. I just want it. And then after I paid for it, as I pulled through that voice came, it said, give the ice cream to the person selling the watermelons. And I thought, you know, if you told me that back when I was ordering, I could have got two ice creams. And the thought came, well, you don't really need an ice cream. And I thought, what are you like my diet coach now? But okay, fine. I'll, I will give him the, I looked to see, could I even get in the line again? But it was so long. I thought, nope, I guess the ice cream, the ice cream, the watermelon guy was only a mile down the road. And I thought, okay, I can handle it. I can handle it without eating it. And when I got there, this old man comes out from the truck. He's just covered in sweat. He's only down to about four more watermelons. And I thought, as I got out of the, my car, I said, oh, here, I brought you an ice cream. <laughs> he looked so relieved that he had an ice cream. I, I was glad that I had done it. I really, I don't even miss that ice cream. But I... Oh, this is the one thing that I've been thinking about since then is when do you say to people, let me tell you how loved you are by God. He knew you needed an ice cream and he sent me to bring it to you yeah, rather than yeah. have it be my idea. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think you know, um, I would do that too quite a lot, you know, because a lot of the time, um, 
sometimes people are just put in your path and they, they just start talking about something and you're, you're wondering like what could I say to this person or what what thing or even if you do kind of know what you're going to say beforehand you walk away and wonder hmm, maybe I should have said this maybe I should have done this here but a lot of the time I think that whatever's meant to happen was meant to happen and sometimes no more is or was necessary for that person so a lot of the time I think that whatever we say to people even if it sounds mumbo jumbo to you probably means the word to that person or if it's an accent like you just giving that person an ice cream maybe in their own way they had a sign or they said like, you know if I ever receive an ice cream I'm going to know that it's, it's come from God and sometimes I think that we don't actually need to um hammer that nail home if that makes any sense right yeah right. They've, they've probably got the message loud and clear um so yeah that that would be that would be my thing but i do that too maybe i should have said this here could have handled this a different way or should have dropped this in or whatever else but i just go well like, i've done what i could um but you one thing you I, done what I could i love that no i love that there is a woman who wrote a whole book on that because oh, really? in the bible yeah there's a story about um oh one of the marys comes just before christ is going to be crucified and she breaks a bottle of oil and and it covers him with oil wipes his feet and with her hair actually and one of the apostles complains like well you know she could have sold that for a lot of money and we could have used it for helping the poor and christ said she has done what she could and often that's it we just we do what we can i like to compare it to going to a community dinner and you help set up and you help take down right and you're at the community dinner and at the end of the night, you're looking at all the stuff that has to be done. The tables have to be put away and wiped down and things have to be vacuumed and the dishes that were used have to be washed, the things that, you know, you can't throw in the trash. And you're going to start doing something. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're cleaning up the bathrooms a little bit so that they'll be ready for the next group in. And then you come out to look for something else to do and it's all done. You know, you did your part and other people did their part. So you've done what you could yeah absolutely yeah do what you could do and have no regrets over it i think yeah we we did what we can and god and spirit they handle the rest and uh, one thing i did find very interesting is um you not only do you do you get those messages um but you've also got messages well i suppose i've got a few myself um but messages that actually relate to events in your future um i read in your book that you um you you told you were going to get a job offer like a year in advance um and you were also told that um in six months you were going to marry again and at that time you had no interest in in, in finding someone um thing and <laughs> i actually remember reading your book turned around and said well I'm going to turn around and tell him that I not like golf. So it better be someone that oh, that's true. Like golf <laughs> because I hate golf and I would rather give birth than, than have anything to do with golf. That's right. Because I was an executive in the high tech industry. You know, those guys golf. And all I could think was, oh, someone's going to be reading this profile. How it happened is I had gotten the thought um, in February of one year that in the next fall, I was going to meet the man I was going to marry. Now, the thing about the spirit is it doesn't come with commas. 
So I took it to mean that I was going to meet and marry this guy in the fall, but actually I met him in the fall and we married the following spring, Parker, that is. But I, the way it came about is my best friend moved and then just went silent. And she later explained it. So I had no one to talk to. I was very lonely. And um, my oldest son had said, you know, he was 26. He said, I want to meet someone to marry. I'm going to go 2,000 miles away to a church school. And I was like, uh, no, because if you go there, you're going to meet someone from California. And then you'll marry her. You'll be 3,000 miles away. She'll have to live near her family and we'll never see you again. So no, here's this new thing. And this was new because this was in 97 that you can go online and you can go into these singles groups and they have one just for the church and you can meet someone there. And here, let me show you how to do it. So I put a profile up because I thought I was showing how you said put one up. And I did say that in my profile. I was like, oh, I have eight kids. They're all raised except the last two are in high school. I don't want any more kids. And also, here's what I like to do, but let me tell you what I don't like to do. I hate golf. I would rather give birth again than play golf. And pop up, there's Parker. I meet him. We get married, and I moved to California. My, my, my son did go to that university. He met someone, and they moved back to the East Coast of the United States within just a, uh, an hour's drive of where I had been living at the time and where the, my kids, the rest of the kids stayed there. You know, they were going to university. And, getting married too. Yeah, that's God for you. I say he has a sense of irony. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just briefly, and because uh, I, I did find this very funny. Um, obviously, you moved to California with Parker and um, still are, are now have these uh, peacocks. Um, oh, the peacocks. <laughs> Parker, i like, oh my gosh. I mean, Parker never does anything for him i mean he will drop whatever he's doing to help someone he does he, his his family name is mcgregor and so i say he um you know he'll give you the shirt off his back but not the money to buy it with and he one day expressed an interest in peacocks well where we were in california some peacocks had gotten loose you know for like decades before and so they have wild peacocks and sure enough the next day some peacocks came and were roosting in the trees right outside our bedroom because i don't know why they feel the need to do that but they do and they make the most awful loud sound a friend came over and was practicing playing bagpipes and they were louder than the bagpipes. I mean, that it is loud. And I was thinking, oh my, and every morning at three in the morning, they would start making that noise. I was thinking, what the heck? And then for, and Parker said, well, you know, they keep us safe. They're like watchdogs. I thought, really? So they would make that noise. And I'd say, well, what do you think's out there, Parker? And he'd say, oh, I don't know, probably a raccoon, you know, maybe bothering the chickens or something. And then they started landing on the deck outside our bedroom and then flying up to the roof and stomping around it sounded like a 200 pound man on our roof i mean i they're, they're not graceful let's just put it that way they're stomping around up there sounded like a 200 pound man and i thought you know parker look at where we are a 200 pound man could come on our property and the peacocks would start screaming and we would just think oh that's probably a raccoon then he could climb up on our deck he could even stomp around on our deck and we would ignore him thinking, oh, that's the peacocks. So, you know, they, this is not helping at all. I, you know, <laughs> this whole point, not working. Yeah. I was like 
you know what? God does do that for Parker all the time because Parker doesn't think about himself. And I thought maybe, maybe if I start being as unselfish as Parker, those peacocks will leave. <laughs> Fantastic. You also had a message as well that, um, uh, that you thought you, you were going to die as well. It's a bit, bit morbid, isn't it? No, it was so odd. Um, I, I had some experiences. Um, my father had two fatal diseases. And the first one was uh, Lou Gehrig's disease when he was in his 30s. And he was promised he would live to raise his children. And then later in his 40s, now he had more children, he had ended up with 11. And my youngest sister was three at the time. And he was promised, again, he would live to raise his children, which he did. Um, the year my youngest sister graduated from high school, he died. Both those diseases came back and he died. And so I, in a blessing once, had been promised that I would live to raise my children. And so somehow I had it in my head that when my youngest son Matthias graduated from high school, I'd be 50 and I was going to die. And it's just been in my head. That's what I was thinking. And so when I turned 49, I started preparing to die. I thought, well, I'm probably going to die. And I thought, well, I am just acting like me. I thought you became someone different when you bumped up against something like that. I mean, I made lists of what I have to do before I die. And part of it was lose weight. Parker's like, why do you want to lose weight? And I said, because I don't want to be heavy in my coffin. You know, like people. And I was just, I was so me. But then I didn't die. And I really had a sense about six months before I had another blessing. And I was promised that I still had many years to live. So I was talking to a friend about that. And it seems so weird. And she said, I think maybe you just needed to realize what was most important in your life to focus on. And thinking that you were going to die, really thinking you were going to die, not like just a brain exercise, forced you to do that, which it did. It did. Although I didn't lose the weight. I mean, I was still going to be heavy on my coffin. But I did start spending other times a little differently. Yeah. And it, it also made you, um, it also made you reminisce, I guess, about all the times that you, you were saved. Um, you mentioned falling off a tractor. I actually remember falling off a tractor too, although the wheel didn't go over my head. I fell off uh, uh, a tractor that was, um, it was, it was empty in the field of the hay bales. So we were working oh my gosh. on um, and the, the tractor trailer was loaded up maybe seven, eight bales high. Um, I fell off the top of that, smashed my head off the ground. Mm. Um, you, you actually fell off a tractor, but um, interestingly enough, or uh, miraculously enough, the, the, just as the wheel was about to, to go over your head, it just, completely mystery. It hit a, a, a rock or something. It just bounced up and just went above my head rather than across my head. I, yeah, that was amazing. It does make you wonder because I, I also nearly drowned as well. I nearly drowned when I was a child. Um, I jumped off hmm. into a pier and um, only the fact that someone had to be sitting there and managed to grab my hand, I would have, I would have, I would have obviously been dead. But it does make you wonder, and I guess you did mention that in your book, you know, what was I saved for a reason? You know, had I had I work to do in the world? You know, and, and I guess maybe maybe that is right because obviously the life that you've led, um, uh, and obviously potentially sort of the stuff that that I've I've done, I guess it just wasn't your time yet because 
maybe you had more work to do in the world. It's true. And, and part of what I believe was the children, you know, bringing those eight children into the world, they've all become, I'll say successful human beings, they help each other, they're educated, they're in stable marriages. And you know, and even if they weren't, that might be part of my calling. And the second is this book and this message, like just, he's there, you can ask him, you know, and you can end up doing your most important joyful work by just, people say, well, I want to give my life to God. I think really, I mean, it, and it's, okay, I've decided to give my life to God, but how do you do that? Well, for me, this is very concrete. You give him your day because your day is your life. And so you take that to-do list and you say, what should I do today, God? And, and, and is there anything you want me to do? And then you live your life that way. And then, because your day is your life. You've actually given up. You've actually you mentioned in your book that you actually give up your, your to-do list completely. You don't have that uh, list at all anymore. Pretty much. I still at night, instead of, I don't, I don't take a list to him, but I will sit down and say, what would you have me to do? And I, a lot of times I think, well, that isn't much. I'm going to have a lot of time left over, but then some, something happens, some calls, someone needs help. And that fills the rest of my day. Cause sometimes there's only two or three things on the list. And I think, huh, but yeah, it's been interesting. Cause I was always a list maker. I was the kind of list maker. And I'm sure some of your listeners are going to relate to this, that if I did something that wasn't on the list, I would put it on the list just so I could cross it off. Yeah. yeah. I really I'm actually like that myself. I have a, I have a list on my phone. I have a list on my phone, two lists, and I, I I'm just addicted. I'm addicted to crossing things off. And oh if, yeah. If, if there's something that wasn't on the list, yeah. I feel like that too. I have to add it to the list just yes. so that I can cross it off. Just so you can cross that's it off. Thing. Yep. That's the kind of list maker I was. <laughs> that's exactly how I am. Um now, obviously, service plays a big part in your life. Um, it plays a big part in my life. I, I wonder how much more can I be of service? What more can I do to be a service? And um, I guess at some point in your life, um, when you're trying to be a service, you're, you're reconciling um, people that you see. Because I guess um, sometimes it's hard maybe to um, see, not the good in people, but... Sometimes we, we, we kind of think slightly less of people and maybe kind of judge them or whatever, but um, we then try to see them, well, you know, if I'm going to really be a service, I need to be a service to everyone that, that I encounter, regardless of how I feel about them potentially personally. And one of the things that you had mentioned is seeing people as God sees them. One of the practices that I do is, is, is recognize that uh, the body that we're in here is just like a suit of clothes. You know, we, we, it doesn't define us. It's just how we look at the minute. And ultimately, we, we are one with God. We are part of God. We, our spirit is, is, is a part of God and we're going back. So underneath this suit of clothes, we are all one at the end of the day. And um, you've just mentioned the seeing people as God sees them. Could you talk about that briefly? What had happened, and again, this prayer came to me uh, from God. Now, I had my son Daniel at that time was 15. He was the most arrogant, demanding, critical child. Like if, well, you should have thought this through before you had this many kids and you wouldn't, you know, be able to buy me that special pair of sneakers, things like that. And, and, you know, he lettered in three 
varsity sports in high school. He just, I don't know. I, I loved him, but I didn't like him much. And so I had said to God, I don't even want, know what to do with this kid. And he said, I want you to pray to see him as I see him, which is something I do all the time now for people. I say it will just completely change your relationship. So I, I did pray that prayer. And a few days later, I'm over at my mom's house and this, you know, she had women's magazines and she had this woman's magazine. I flipped it up and I'm kind of reading through it. And there's a story about this kid who had uh, accused his coach at school of, you know, basically sexual abuse. And he was pilloried for it. They, the people loved the coach. They were mad at this kid for doing it. And I thought, wow, something like that just happened in our area. So I started reading it and realized it was about the kid in our area. And I was, as I was reading it, he's talking about how depressed he had become, almost suicidal, because how he was being treated. And there was on his bedside stand a framed petition that only had about four names on it of some kids from this school who had said, we believe you. And I remembered the day I was taking my son Daniel to school and was dropping him off. And he told me he'd written up this petition that he wanted to pass around school for the kid, the people who believed in that kid to sign it so he could give it to him. When he went to the principal, the principal said, there's no, we're not going to talk about this anymore at school. It, it belongs in the courts. We're not, he wasn't allowed to do it. So he was upset about that that night. He was telling me, so he, what he did was he went to a, just a few of his friends and they signed it and gave it to that boy. And as I read that story, I thought, oh, this is how God sees my son. He, he doesn't see that arrogant 15 year old. And he's still like that. I mean, we're, we're now 25 years in the future. He's 40. He, when we, the pandemic started, he went out and started taking food to the homeless who weren't able, you know, people weren't going to the places they used to go. So they couldn't hit people up for money. <laughs> so they just started taking them food. And he went down and started talking to the city about they had closed all the public restrooms. The libraries were closed. He's like, how are these people going to get to use a bathroom? You know, the stores are closed. Where are they going to go? And convinced them to open some of the public restrooms back up. So they had some place, you know, to use the bathroom. That He's still that kind of man. Yeah. That boy became that man. Fantastic. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned this in, in, in your book, and I have my own kind of thoughts on it and think of we're, we're both in alignment with this here, is, is that people always wonder about the misery in the world, you know, the misery in the world and all of the, the selfishness and hatred and crime and stuff like that go on. And why does God allow this? And why, does, why doesn't God intervene? And why doesn't and, and God stop all this? And, <laughs> You, you've mentioned quite a lot because yes. this concept of free will, we have free will, you know, God gave us free will to do exactly what we want on this planet. And that obviously can mean that people will do things that, that will impact on other people, whether it's crime or sexual abuse or anything that may cause hurt to another person. Um, but I wanted to link this here to, um, I think I'm linking this to, to prayer. Um, yeah, prayer Prayer for me is about asking for help. And I compare prayer and free will to um, to wrestling. Um, when, when we see wrestlers in the wrestling ring and we see them, you know, kind of down on the, the floor um, and they're, you know, trying to get help from their partner, but that partner 
can't come in until he is tagged in. They are the rules of wrestling. I cannot come in. So I think that free will is a lot like that there, that help can't come unless we ask for it. And one of the big things is we do that is, is prayer. Prayer is like um, tagging in our, our spiritual team, tagging in God, tagging in the angels, all those um, wonderful um, instruments of God who, who, who seek to help us every day. Could you just give me your own thoughts on that? My sense of this is we're down here together, as you said, we have free will. And people, there are people who are always saying, I'm, I'm going to say to God, why did you let this happen? Why did you, let, if there's really a God? And I say, I think he's going to say to you, why did you? You know, we feel as if we have no power, but people like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu have shown us we have incredible power uh, to move people to action. And we need to stop what's going on. Not sitting at home, watching the news, thinking, ah, that's terrible. And now I'm going to go have my chili for dinner. But we have to make, do some action ourselves. I, I, I don't even remember who it was. And, or who it was. I keep thinking it was Desmond Tutu. And Martin Luther King or maybe Nelson Mandela was saying to him, you know, how could God let this world be in this kind of bad shape? Like, look what we're suffering through as a people. And he said, well, that's why you're here. And so to me, um, you know, diseases and everything are a part of life and we do struggle with that. And to me, part of it is just what is your commitment to how you live your life? No matter what's going on in your life, are you committed to being kind? Are you committed to looking around yourself to seeing someone you can help? And the more we do that, then the better the world becomes because you know, if the world was an ocean or a big jar of water, some people are putting black stuff in that water. And some of us are putting things in the water that dissolve that black stuff. And so the more of us who are putting things, clear things in the water that dissolve the black stuff, the better the world becomes for all of us. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful statement, beautiful sentiment. Um, I guess on top of that, there are a large part of, of this here is also the the act of forgiveness and forgiveness is something that um, has really played a big part in my life, um, learning to forgive because of the traumas that, that I've you know, endured and have come into my life. And um, I, I've talked about forgiveness. I talked in one of my um, recent podcasts, which was about being hijacked and learning to forgive that hijacker. And I guess I kind of took it out because a lot of people said to me, you know, that person there, you know, they're this or that, they should face punishment for it. You know, they should, hanging's too good for them. They need to be shot dead. And I kind of looked beyond that person and, and kind of wondered, well, what causes a person, you know, to, to commit an act like that there? You know, what, what's led this person along their life path to become this person that they are? You know, is there any factors? Have they had a broken down home, you know, no job, hanging around with, with the wrong people? So, for me, forgiveness is, it, it is, is about looking past that person who's done that thing and maybe trying to look beyond that at their life path and wonder, is there, is there maybe some sort of circumstances that have led them into this here? And I also think that forgiveness, is, is, um, forgiveness can be linked to this term of karma. You know, if, if, we, if we commit a selfish act upon any other person, then 
that selfish act ultimately comes back around to, to impact on us. And I think a lot of people don't associate those um, those acts that they, they initially carried out with what is currently happening within their, within their life. So I think that um, the act of forgiveness also can um, help forgive and remove any sort of sort of karma that you may have incurred upon another person, if that kind of makes sense. So it's kind of like a forgiveness for a thing. Jesus on the cross um, said, um, forgive them because they know not what they do. You know, and I think that's hmm. a, lot. Yeah. a lot of people do things without really thinking about it or, or just don't really have the actual sense or the, the, the insight, perhaps, that, that Tennessee, you, me, a lot of people would in regards to this. What about you? I, I, I've taken, a, it's taken a long time for me to learn to forgive certain things. And so there's a few things I noticed. One is I really can sit with God and, um, and say, I, I'm trying to forgive this. It happened 20 years ago. I keep thinking I've forgiven it, but then I keep thinking about it again. And usually what I'll find is underneath that thing that I'm having a hard time forgiving is a, a little bit of a thought that I deserved it. Um, a little bit of a thought that uh, I'm not good enough. And so once I'm able to address that thought and go ahead and forgive, then the heat goes out of it. It's not that we never think about it again. It's just, I hardly ever think about it again, unless I'm trying to think of an example of forgiveness. So, and the other thing is, I believe as a Christian, that all things can be turned to our good. And no one's gonna say, oh, all good things can be turned to our good, because yeah, that's obvious. It's that all things, meaning even the bad things can be turned to our good. And so I have a story in the book called Purple, very short, about my friend who said oh, she loved purple, but you can't get purple without red. And then she tells this story about she went to God and said, look, I can take all the bad things that happened to me except this one thing. When I was sexually abused by a favorite uncle, if only that thing hadn't happened in my life. And the answer she got very quick thought was, what's the character trait you're most proud of? And she immediately saw the connection between that abuse and her developing this particular character trait, which is her ability to, in a crisis situation, immediately recognize the crisis, know what to do and take action. And I have seen her in action. I, we were at a restaurant once eating with some friends and one of my friends started choking. Uh, and I was sitting there thinking, is she really choking? When my, the, this friend, my purple friend, leaped up out of her chair, did the Heimlich maneuver, out pops this little piece of meat, and the lady starts breathing again. I mean, I was still trying to figure out if she really was choking. So she's, and so my friend says to me, you know, people see the purple in you. They don't see the red that got you there. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, that's, it's through our, our our traumas and stuff like that 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 we can you know develop these these great um, character traits exactly as you mentioned there, um, and also things that 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 I think are very important as well. I'm sure you'll agree: empathy, compassion, forgiveness that we talked about. Um, so it, it definitely is. It's it's although it's potentially not pleasant, it can really um, help you grow as a as a person and as 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 a spirit and. 
really deepen your connection then with God. Just briefly then, um, you also mentioned about guilt. Um, you have a, a saying that guilt <laughs> is to the spirit as pain is to the body, as joy is to the spirit, pleasure is to the body. It's true. And I think about that. People are like, oh, guilt. People try to make me feel guilty. I shouldn't feel guilty. And I think, well, how do you know what's a good thing to do or a bad thing to do if you don't have guilt? And if people who got, um, well, not right now, Parker has neuropathy. I'm just trying to think, what is that thing people, oh, leprosy. Well, what happens with leprosy is you've lost all the feeling. And so you, you, the reason that they end up with stumps on their hands and stuff is because they don't know when they've hurt themselves. They could put it in a fire and burn their finger off. They wouldn't even realize it was happening. And so that's how I feel. If you don't have guilt, then you don't know what to stop doing. Guilt, guilt is a good thing. And yes, and the joy that comes from when you do service is as, on a spiritual level, just this, um, it, you, you've just forgotten yourself. It's that kind of joy. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, just uh, just to kind of wrap up here, um, you're also involved in three charities. Isn't that correct? I am. So we did have foster kids. I had foster kids in my first marriage and I had a second marriage with Parker and we had foster kids. And so we work with foster kids in transition. We the It's called um, my orange duffel bag. Um, and they they mentor kids between the age of 18 as as a getting out of their home imagine being kicked out of your home at 18 with no resources like okay you're done and most of them end up in um at least 60 percent will end up homeless for a while and the girls many of the girls end up in the sex trade so we're trying to prevent that then the second one we work with is with the mayans in guatemala and they often come in from their small villages they only speak mayan they don't speak the language of the country which is spanish they have to learn that and they're not very well educated they often end up living in a dump in the dump in the major cities bringing stuff out for recycling and so we work with a, a charity there that provides schooling for the children and actually has started providing education for the mothers as well. And in order for them to come, they asked the mothers what it would take. And they said, you know, we need the kids to help recycle so we can get enough food for dinner that night. And they, so what they promise them is if they let the kids come to school, they'll feed the kids at school, but also they'll send food home with them so that the whole family can be fed. And that's how they, and so that's what we support. We, we send money to that too. Beautiful. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. As I said before, your, your service really shames mine. Um, just as we finish off here, Margaret, it's, it's 2022. Um, the world is, is pretty much divided, you know, in, in more ways than one. Um, is there any message that you could sum up based on your, 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 your life experience for anyone who is seeking to develop that relationship with God, to seeking to become a better person, um, who is seeking to, um, to potentially, you know, listen to that voice of God or, or, or to increase their amount of service? Is there one short, succinct sentence that you could potentially offer? Well, I say, you know, um, give your life to God by giving him your day, give him your to-do list. You'll be, it'll be amazing how much good you do. Yeah. And that's that. Uh, hopefully then that, that will be a start for people then. Absolutely. Right. So where can people find you then if, if they want to look at your own work, if they want to 
listen to you if they want to read your own posts is there is there some social media links that you could share if on my website in hisfootsteps.com i have the books there i have um, kind of a scrolling thing that's showing the different blog posts and at the very bottom of the page the social media links of where i'm found so and and I also have an, a newsletter thing that'll say, oh, do you want to sign up for my newsletter? I guarantee you will not get it more than once a month and you won't get spam because I'm too lazy. <laughs> so you'll be lucky to get a newsletter a month. And it usually has a story in it, like we've wow. shared. <laughs> Margaret Agard, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you and to interview today. Um, as I said, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from reading your book. Um, and I would urge other people to 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 read your your first book and read your subsequent books. Um, for me, it's been about deepening my practice. It's about um, offering myself up more for for service, which which really is very hard. And obviously, taking time out to to offer my gratitude every day, which I've now started doing because I lapse from that, and and, and taking more time out of my day to go and to go and listen to that voice. So thank you very much for agreeing to do this interview. It's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully we'll see you again when we can discuss your, your future books. Okay, thanks, Zenith. It's been a delight. You're more than welcome. Mm -hmm.